and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last time. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. Regular listeners and PA Politicos know that Professor Chris Bork has his finger on the Pennsylvania pulse. The Milner College Institute of Public Opinion has excellent nonpartisan polling analysis. Each cycle, they prove to be right on the mark. They're out with a new poll about the hottest congressional race in the Commonwealth, the one between incumbent Susan Wilde and Republican challenger Lisa Scheller. Last month, they polled statewide. And as you're listening to this, they're actively polling Pennsylvania voters for what might be the last nonpartisan poll of the cycle. So I look forward to getting Professor Bork's perspective on all of this data. Professor Chris Bork, welcome back to my kitchen table. It's always a pleasure, Ari. So I don't even know where to begin. You had a survey one month ago, statewide, and then you had a survey just a few days ago focusing on the Lehigh Valley and the South Congressional race. So where, where do you want to begin? And then... I guess we also need to be aware that seemingly every day, if not twice a day, there's someone else's uh, surveys and polls coming out. Indeed, there's much to talk about on the polling front and, and of course, the broader campaign front. And uh, and yeah, our, we, we were, we've been polling all fall. In fact, we're going in the field again for one more statewide poll leading into uh, Election Day. But, you know, our first statewide poll last month showed what? A lot of individuals were finding, you know, Democrats ahead in the two key statewide races, the Senate race and the gubernatorial race, but by differing margins um, that in the the governor's race, Josh Shapiro was leading Doug Mastriano uh, by double digit numbers, while the Senate race uh, between Fetterman and Oz was much closer. You know, we had it, I think, in single digits, mid single digits. Uh, as a race. And it, it, it appears, as you look at some of the polling moving past that, our date and the most current polling, including polling that's just come out recently, that, that disparity between the Senate race and the gubernatorial race uh, has been persistent with, with Mastriano outperforming Fetterman in terms of, of the margin that he's leading, which brings up the always pressing question that I've got a lot. Are there Shapiro Oz voters out there and where are they and what impact might they have? It's a question on a lot of uh, uh, folks' minds. I'm sure a lot of listeners' minds. Let me ask you also, did you, I mean, certainly every poll talks about the horse race, but uh, what other questions? I mean, for example, are you looking at favorability? Are you looking at top uh, policy issues? Yeah, they're great questions. And those are often overlooked and I'm happy you didn't. Uh, Ari. Yeah, we ask questions in every survey during election time. What are the issues on the voters' minds? What are the top issues? And then cross-tabbing them out to see who is interested in what issues and what role they're playing. And and the candidate favorability. What do people think about them? And there, there's some interesting dynamics that are exposed through looking at that. For example, Dr. Oz in the Senate race, way underwater in terms of favorability. Most voters have an unfavorable view of him. And you take John Fetterman, when we polled last month, and he was pretty balanced between favorables and unfavorables in, in the 40s. What's interesting to look at as I've been watching other polls is, is what's happening to 
to Fetterman's favorability in relation to Oz. Oz's, I don't think, has changed all that much, but it seems that Fetterman's favorable standing among the electorate might be eroding on the margins and making it, you know, we think about politics often. If you can make a race about two unfavorable people, it's better for that person that was originally unfavorable because now it's it's a coin toss, if you will, instead of clearly, you know, likable and an unlikable individual. And I think in many ways, as I look at this race and why it may be getting more competitive or has got more competitive, is the ability of Oz to really undercut Fetterman's favorability as a candidate. Well, I think we have lots of listeners outside of Pennsylvania, but every Pennsylvanian who now, turns on the radio or turns on the television knows that the majority of these ads, unfortunately, are pretty negative. And it seems like that's the essence of what you're saying, right? I mean, it's not necessarily propping up. It's a candidate with high unfavorables chopping away. And chopping is a good word. And that's what he's done. Oz, I think, fairly successful, if that's his goal with Fetterman and outside groups. Painting Fetterman as someone that that is too soft on crime, a, you know, words like he's a fraud, he's, you know, not really working class, he grew up wealthy, supported by parents, and that his image is not one that Fetterman has built of being this, this individual that's in touch with daily Pennsylvania life. And that's, you often do that. You try to undercut your opponent's strength, right? You, you go after what you think is their, their point that they're trying to build their brand on. And I think Oz has been fairly successful. I mean, it, again, we're all talking on the margin here, how you move it. And you move those those favorability numbers down for Fetterman and you make it a different race. You just mentioned issues uh, around crime in the survey last month. Um, what, what what were some of the policy issues that were leading? Uh, and I actually would be curious, how, how is that? Is that an open-ended question or you, you give folks a choice? I mean, how do you? We, we do it different ways. That's such a really cool methods thing. So how do you ask about issues, right? Do you give people a battery of issues and ask them to rate them each individually on importance? Do you force choice by saying, okay, here's a list of issues which one is most important, or do you give it open-ended? And we do both. For example, last month in our statewide, it was completely open-ended. We'd say, hey, now thinking about the upcoming November election, what is the most important issue in determining your vote? Something to those, you know, I'm paraphrasing. And then people can go anywhere. So if you got called, then you said, oh, it's inflation, uh, or abortion, or transportation, or climate change, we'll just write it down. And then the staff and I will go through them all. We have this coding procedure and we put them into categories and then we report the frequencies of the categories. So you, you know, 30% said inflation or whatever. And so that's an interesting way of looking at it. It's unsolicited. It just kind of comes from, it's time consuming. We don't do it all the time because it does take a lot of time when you're trying to get a poll out and doing inter-rater reliability. It's just, it's, it's work, uh, but it's cool because you can measure it. And last month when we were looking at that, it was the top tier issues were economic issues, broadly defined inflation, which we kind of created as a separate category because a lot of people said it separately and uh, abortion. Those were the three issues that that stood out. Um, and, you know, when we did our, you mentioned our most recent survey, a seventh congressional district, which I, I'm sure we'll talk about. We asked it in a more closed ended question where we gave issues. We said, hey, what are the following issues? And we gave them abortion, jobs, uh, inflation, crime, environment, education, you know, a number of issues. The two issues that stood out were inflation and abortion, you know, when people had to choose between the list. So there's different ways to get at it, but it seems pretty clear to me from our polling and other polling that those issues are are a category above in this cycle. 
Well, I appreciate you clarifying that. You know, I've always wondered when you, you know, you, you see these articles or, you know, more often you just see kind of the Twitter headlines of, uh, of, of all these surveys that are out there. Uh, if I understood correctly, so you're, you're distinguishing between, in this last survey, between economic and inflation? Yeah, it, what, it, uh, what what give give listeners an example of? Uh, I'm not really sure that I can yeah, give an no. example of what would be an economic issue. It's great. So you know, if let's say in our open ended poll last month, and we asked people, and they'll, they'll just say um, the economy or jobs. You know, we might we might categorize those as kind of broader economic employment questions. But if they said inflation specifically, now we could you could combine them, right? You could say inflation slash economy. But we thought because of the share that we're saying exactly inflation that that it deemed its own category, right, for 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 there. And then when we framed it as a choice, not an open-ended question, we 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 figured, well, what's the language that we want to use to kind of capture their concerns? Instead of maybe just saying something broadly like the economy, we we started to break it out. We'd say, okay, jobs, inflation as a category, right? And and they're at allow people to to kind of choose amongst the group. So there's there's multiple ways to, to frame it. And so a lot, I, I do see a lot of nationally, sometimes it's all rolled together. It's just economic in, in issues that include inflation, jobs, you know, uh, anything that has to do with anything economic put in. But if you could disaggregate it, I think it's it gives you a little picture of the nuance within that broader issue. Okay, so you've alluded to it. And uh this one, I guess, in some regards was easier, in some regards was more difficult to pull. You know, we're talking about the 7th Congressional District uh, in Lehigh, Northampton, and part of Carbon County. This just literally came out as we're recording this. Uh, so give folks kind of top line and then we'll get more uh, granular with this. And I think this is fascinating because it's probably the closest you know, pure toss-up uh, east of the Mississippi. And I, I believe it's the most expensive in recent Pennsylvania history. I mean, all, all right. I mean, it is, the you know, the 7th District, which is the Lehigh Valley in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, Northampton, Lehigh counties, and now Carbon County, which was added in, actually making it a little bit more of a Republican district. But it's a really balanced uh, district by almost any measure that you can look at. And as you alluded to, highly competitive. And thus, we not only because we are in the middle of it, where Muhlenberg is located, decided to poll it but um it's also that it's just a great race to to poll and you know sometimes you do a poll and it's like eh, that's a little surprising that it was close or a wide margin this is one that when we're done with the numbers and all our waiting and we looked at it, we said oh yeah it's pretty much what what people are thinking i think we had wild up by one point which is just a statistical dead heat right it's 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 a very competitive race and now we have measures to to support that belief and it is is one of those districts, right, that you think in a classic midterm, if it's leaning in one, you know, the winds are at the back of Republicans, which historically they would be in this cycle. These are the type of districts that tip, you know, Democrats, what do they have going for them? An incumbent, which usually helps a, a, a few points. Uh, you have some issues that we saw in this race, like abortion that I think have helped lift Wild's chance. But you have a well-funded opponent who lost, by the way, two years ago to wild by about four points uh, in the presidential election, which was probably a more favorable time for uh, Democrats in, in Pennsylvania, not not overwhelmingly so because it was close. And you have all the recipes for a race that looks close. And I think at least we have it pretty close in this. And, and on election day, I'd be surprised if this isn't, you know, a single digit type of close contest. 
Okay, so before we get into some of the language beyond the the, the horse race, just curious how one yeah, congressional district has about seven hundred thousand constituents. Number of voters is even smaller. Number of voters who are going to take a a call from a pollster. I um, mean, how, how how do you get a universe uh, to, to accurately reflect what we may or may not see on November eighth? Yeah, this is a great great methods question, right? And challenges abound in, in doing it. Yeah, I give a couple of, of takeaway points on how we do it. So this is a voter, you know, our sampling frame, how we identify the voters comes off what we call a voter file, which is largely provided by the state of Pennsylvania. And what's what's important about the voter file, especially when you work through vendors, you could do a lot of pre-research on it and identify likely voters. Who's going to show up, right? So you have people register that hardly ever vote and never vote in midterms. They're, they're unlikely right off the bat. So you might say, well, I'm going to make a decision not to try and reach uh, them. So do you vote in midterm elections? Do you vote in off-year elections? It, at least a couple of those that you do regularly suggest to us that you're probably going to show up now in the race. Did you just register recently is usually a sign that you might be getting in. So we have, and it's all reported, you could look at our, our uh, methodologies. But eventually we determine based on the voter file who's likely. And then once we get someone on the phone, as you said, which by the way is a very big challenge, you have to discern uh, even more, are they intending to vote? So we ask questions you know, on their likelihood. And if, if they tell us they're not likely, you know, we're not going to follow up. Uh, but even if they tell us they're likely, you know, how much more are we confident they're going to show up? And so we have other screeners to do. All that just to determine who is a likely voter, because we know in midterm elections, you know, maybe we'll get to 50%, you know, on a really good election, probably lower. So we got to discern that. So that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of challenges to do that. It's a moving target, right? As you can guess. Uh, we don't. We're not sure exactly who's going to show up, so our modeling has to to try and do that, and then we have to actually go through the process of of reaching out to those voters. So it takes time, lots of effort, lots of money to get to get a good uh, poll that can estimate where a race is. Appreciate you walking listeners through the the backstory, so to speak. What uh, and this was done in partnership with the Morning Call, as I as I recall, call recall. Okay, so what was the total universe? It was about four hundred. Gotcha. 400 likely voters. All right. So beyond the uh, dead even uh, split uh, horse race, so uh, give listeners a sense of some of the other questions that came up. Uh, were they, for example, the favorable, unfavorable, or policy concerns? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the same. I mean, really interesting. So how, how do we put it together? We wanted – we get so many only, – only so many questions in a survey, you know, because you got to get them in kind of quick, talk to folks. So we do have to do all those screener questions. Then we ask the favorability questions, job approval in the case of Wild as, as they – the incumbent. Uh, we got a presidential approval rating in there to see how the district looks on Biden. We have a question in there about how people voted in the last election, the 2020 election, to be able to do analysis. Yes, as we always at the end include cross tabs for where the race is. So that's available if you want to check out the, the study. But then we ask the issue questions, right? And we also ask, which I'm really fascinated in, is the statewide races as they play out in the district, right? We ask statewide polls on how the governor's race and Senate race look, but how does it overlay with the district? And here's where we saw an interesting phenomena that Wild was in a statistical dead heat, but Shapiro had a 15 point lead in the district. Fetterman had, I think, six, seven point. It was closer, right? Like we're finding statewide. But so, so Scheller's outperforming the, the top of the ticket in her party, which isn't, you know, is, is that usual, especially right now where you have this kind of year of, you know, party coming together, which raises the, the, the specter 
if you will, of some split ticket voting going on uh, in this race. And we, we've seen it before. I think we might have even talked about it in past podcasts, Ari. There are districts, you know, you look at like the first district down the Fitzpatrick district where he'll get elected easily and Trump could lose the district. So we see this before. Uh, it's not unprecedented. In 2020, we certainly saw it in, in statewide races too. But this is going to be a big defining feature of this cycle. Just who uh, within the electorate might be willing to to split some tickets across races. And I would encourage listeners to give a listen. Uh, we had a deep dive discussion about Bucks County and that first congressional district uh, in our last episode. Okay, so and what what the the you know what's also intriguing is that these candidates are not the statewide candidates are not from the Lehigh Valley, and you know they, they fortunately are spending time, but it's only periodically uh, engaging with Lehigh Valley voters. I, I guess it's almost exclusively just by this paid media advertising that folks are formulating opinions. Uh, and that's that's pretty expensive Philadelphia media market uh, advertising. Think about that. I was actually doing a, a podcast today down for some folks um, in uh, suburban Philadelphia, and they're out of the district, right? But they're seeing endless Scheller and Wild ads, right? As you said, astutely uh ari that's how you get to the lehigh valley audience there's no network affiliates here right we have a local channel uh wfmz channel 69 uh, local media outlets but we don't have an abc station an abc and nbc those are all in the philadelphia media market which makes this even more costly think of how many people are watching ads that they don't you know south jersey folks are watching lehigh valley ads right <laughs> right now wild and sheller uh ads because that's how you get to and the name of the game is you're going to older voters which still watch a lot of tv um and so you have to go that route in addition to your social media and 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 online content and so you're paying a ton of money making this as you said before really really costly to get to those seven hundred thousand people that live in the district and the small amount that are you know relatively small amount that are going to be voters well, do you want more? It's not only folks that are sitting at the Jersey Shore uh, seeing these ads. It's people sitting in um, Newcastle or uh, Ocasson or Wilmington or wherever in North uh, Delaware that are also seeing these ads. And they're probably sick and tired of them, just like so many of us are. All right. Well, you've been super generous with your time. Give folks a kind of snapshot, sneak preview of um, this upcoming poll, which could very well be one of the last nonpartisan polls from a Pennsylvania polling outfit in the field uh, before Election Day. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to to see just where, again, where, you know, last time we were out is over a month ago, been a lot of polls since that seem to indicate uh, the tightening of the, the Senate race, not not very much tightening at all if in the in the governor's race. It'll be post, we're, we're waiting to go out post-debate. That's one of the reasons we held off just a little longer, uh, the, the Fetterman-Oz um, debate, which is the only debate we want to see and maybe measure a little bit of, of impact there. And to see once again, maybe some more data points that that the the target of the Oz again, the Oz Shapiro voter, and places like the Philly suburbs, how many are they? You know, how pivotal might they be? Uh, they probably won't be very pivotal at all in the in the governor's race if the polling holds up, but in the Senate race, this could be part of the story that we're looking at. So it'll be good to get at least for us one more data point, see maybe how issues are changing at the end, anything rising or falling. As we approach election day, as, as the campaigns have really hit a number of issues, so lots to still contend with. And then I'll be happy to put away uh, election polls for a while and focus on nothing but issues for uh, for at least the next year. <laughs> uh, well, we got the 
Hotly contested Philadelphia mayor's race, but I'm not sure if you're going to wait into that or if one could even accurately poll Philadelphia politics. Hard, by the way, hard, hard race to poll. Uh, All right. Well, thank you so much for your time coming back to the podcast and providing this perspective to listeners. Really uh, uh, looking forward to uh, seeing that new uh, that new poll and hold it on to our seats in these final uh, few uh, few days. Indeed. All right. It's always always such a pleasure. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, PAPoliticalPodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week. Thank you.